Good morning. Good morning. All right. Ohio gozaimasu. Uh, welcome to Calvary Chapel Iwakuni. Great to be here with you guys. As always, uh, a blessing to be able to worship the Lord uh, with the body of Christ. This morning, we are going to begin a special series that we're going to be doing uh, through the rest of the month of December, Lord willing, called Christmas Through the Eyes. Uh, this series is something that actually came to fruition back in October while trying to figure out what we would do on Wednesday nights once we finished uh, the book of Malachi and our study uh, through the Old Testament. Uh, I had asked a group of men uh, from the church to you know, seek the Lord, and then we were going to meet together and just kind of talk about what the Lord laid upon our hearts uh, just to see how He was leading and guiding. Um, and the Lord impressed upon uh, my heart just the importance of Christmas and how uh, it would be good for us to look at Christmas from, from different angles and different perspectives. Uh, and after sharing my heart with the guys, the overall consensus was that uh, these messages should be done on Sunday mornings uh, instead of Wednesday nights. And so we ended up going with the Feast of uh, Israel on Wednesday nights, and we're going to be doing this special series on Christmas. And, um, and so uh, we decided you know, that uh, we would give Christmas a, a little more time this year than what we usually uh, allot for it. You know, most years I simply give a Christmas message the Sunday before Christmas, and then we have our Christmas Eve service, which is usually a night of just singing and some scripture reading. Uh, and so uh, we're going to, this year we're going to be diving in a little deeper, okay, and uh, to see what Christmas is all about from the perspective of, of different people uh, within the Bible. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at Christmas through the eyes of a prophet. Okay? Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah, the prophet. You know, initially, I was actually going to try and do Christmas through the eyes of prophecy and then uh, look at all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled uh, in his first coming. But that turned out to be way too daunting of a task. Uh, there are well over a hundred prophecies that Jesus fulfilled during his first coming, and to try and look at all of them, and to try and uh, pick and choose which ones are, are more important than the others, it was uh, just too much. I didn't want to keep you guys here all day, uh, and so out of respect for your own time, uh, I decided to stick with one prophet, Isaiah, uh, who had a lot to say about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah, he longed for the coming of the Lord. He longed for the coming of his Messiah, we know uh, that to be Jesus Christ. You know, many of us look forward to Christmas and the season as a whole, uh, the actual day of Christmas. That's hopefully a, a reminder of happy memories shared with the family and loved ones. I'm sure if I were to ask any of the kids that uh, we just dismissed, I'm sure they would tell of how excited they are uh, and how they are greatly looking forward to celebrating Christmas. Uh, and while Christmas has changed for many of us as we've aged, uh, perhaps we no longer have that giddy excitement that uh, doesn't allow us to fall asleep on Christmas Eve um, that we once did as a small child. But I do hope that Christmas and the Christmas holiday is something that we still look forward to uh, and enjoy. Different families, you know, they have different traditions they enjoyed perhaps as children and they still participate in as adults in their own families now, uh, whether it be participating in the Advent calendar and, and counting the days until Christmas. I know a, a number of families that do that. 
uh, just hanging up Christmas decorations. Okay, it's, it's officially after Thanksgiving, so that's okay. Uh, if you haven't gotten them up yet, you're late. But, um, you know, hopefully you've gotten those out. But you get your Christmas decorations, you get your stockings, your Christmas tree, your, your lights, your wreaths, the nativity sets, okay? Maybe just pulling out those favorite Christmas songs that you love to listen to each year. Or perhaps you have some favorite Christmas movies that you like to watch, you know, year by year. And it's like, okay, we're going to watch our Christmas movies now. Of course, the gift giving and receiving is nice as well. There are many things that we can look forward to in regard to Christmas and the Christmas season as it, uh, and all that comes with it. But of course, Christmas is more than decorations and, and music and, and movies and gift giving. Christmas is about the greatest gift ever given. It is about God giving to the whole world a gift that the entire world needed but could not afford. Okay? Sometimes there are gifts that my kids want that I just say, look, I can't. As they get older, their, their um, gifts get more expensive. And so I got a lot of head nodding out there. Yes, okay? And, and so sometimes there's gifts that I'd love to give, but I'm just like, I cannot afford that. <laughs> Especially, I, yeah, I've got too many. So uh, that just doesn't work. But Christmas is about God giving to the world a gift that we could not afford. It's about God giving His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the whole world needed a Savior, someone to deliver them from the bondage of sin. And in and of themselves, okay, no human being could save themselves, could deliver themselves from sin. The world needed Jesus Christ, and God gave Him to us. And this is what Christmas is about. It's about God giving us a gift by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to us. And so, at Christmas, while it is a, a time to look forward to, it's also a time to look back upon, okay, to look back upon God's gift to all the earth, the sending of His one and only begotten Son in the form of a babe. For us, it is a time to look back upon, a time some 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born as a babe in the town of Bethlehem. But Christmas wasn't always a time to look back upon. For many of the Old Testament prophets and saints, it only represented a time to look forward to, a time prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, a time the prophets longed for and and, uh, waited for, the coming of the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. This morning, we're going to take a look at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah the prophet. For Isaiah, Christmas was a time to look forward to, not because of special gifts and Christmas lights and decorations and caroling and all the things that make perhaps us look forward to Christmas. For Isaiah, Christmas was a time to look forward to the glorious appearing of God's Messiah. He waited with great anticipation and great hope for God's anointed one. And there were a number of things that Isaiah looked forward to when it came to the coming Messiah. And this morning, we're going to review those things, and we're going to remind ourselves of why we too should be looking forward to Christmas, just as the prophet Isaiah did. So the title of our study this morning is Looking Forward to Christmas. Okay? Our text this morning is found in the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah. And so if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you go ahead and make your way there to the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're in the Old Testament. Maybe you're not so familiar with that. Isaiah is one of the major prophets, the first, in fact, of the Old Testament. Uh, his book's found after the books of poetry, like Psalms and Proverbs, and then it's Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah. If you're in any prophet, you, need, you went too far because Isaiah is the first one. Just go back, okay? 
Isaiah, everybody there? Everybody found it? All right, great. Once you're there, will you please rise to your feet in honor of God and his word? Again, we're in chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. Our text this morning is going to be verses 1 through 7. Hey, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you're reading from a different translation, please do your best to follow along. The Lord speaks through Isaiah the prophet the following in verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we can take this time as we look forward to Christmas, Lord, that we can look forward to Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who longed for uh, with great excitement and great anticipation the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that in like manner, we would have that same anticipation, that same excitement regarding your first coming as well as Lord, you're even your second coming. That as we too look forward to Christmas, that our hearts would be like Isaiah. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us in our time of study. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophecy that focuses in upon the coming Messiah and all uh, that will be and all that it will be like when he comes. Now, in order for us to understand the context of what's going on here, I'd like to just do a simple summary of what just took place prior to this text. You see, the prophet Isaiah had just pronounced some pretty bad news to the northern tribes of Israel in chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 4, he spoke of how the riches of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria, they would be taken away before the king of Assyria. Basically, that the Assyrians were going to come in, they were going to loot the land, and they were going to take people away into captivity. And at the end of the chapter, Isaiah described their situation as a time where the people will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and how they will be driven into darkness. Okay? And so chapter 8, it, it, things are not looking very good. Okay? But chapter 9 opens up 
with some good news. So let's take a look at our opening verse once again. Verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who, is, her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Isaiah says that the gloom from chapter 8 won't last. Okay, the her in verse 1 refers to those in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. Uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were two of the ten tribes of the nation of Israel. Okay, they are located up around the Sea of Galilee. Now, the reading in the King James Version and the New King James Version is a bit peculiar. Okay, I, I know I like the New King James. That's what I read from on Sundays, but it's a little peculiar here. The overall context tells us this is something good that's going to happen to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But yet the translators say that afterward they will be more heavily oppressed. Now the phrase more heavily oppressed uh, in the original Hebrew, which is what Isaiah writes in, is actually one word. And that one word simply means to weigh heavy. For some reason, the translators of the King James and the New King James decided to translate this word as more heavily oppressed. Now, this word actually pops up some 113 times in the Old Testament writings, and this is the only time that it is translated as more heavily oppressed. More often than not, the word is translated as honored or honorable or glorified or glorious. 72 times, in fact, uh, of the 113 times it's mentioned, it has something to do with honor or glory. If you were to read some of the different translations that are out there, uh, the NIV, it reads, in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. Uh, The ESV reads, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. The NASB, New American Standard, reads, Later on he shall make it glorious. Uh, Even the NLT, which is a little wordy, uh, the New Living Translation, it says, But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. What Isaiah is saying is that it won't always be terrible for the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but that there will come a time when God honors this land and brings glory to it. I think the natural question ought to be is, when will that be? When will it be that honor and glory are brought to this land? And according to Matthew's gospel, that time was when Jesus Christ came. His first advent, and he ministered upon the earth. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 says regarding Jesus, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And so Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy when he came and he ministered in the area of Galilee. The time of gloom and darkness, it will be removed and an honor would be bestowed upon this land when God's son would come and dwell within it. For Isaiah, 
Christmas represented a time where honor and glory would come as a result of Jesus Christ. And so Christmas is a time to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And so let's make sure in all the different traditions and all the various celebrations that we are a part of this year for Christmas, that we bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul exhorts us that in everything that we do, okay, everything, whether we eat or drink or what we are to do, okay, that we are to do it all to the glory of God. Let's glorify God this Christmas and all that we do, the various celebrations and parties and activities that we'll be a part of. May we bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ this year. Verse 2 tells us another one of the things Isaiah was looking forward to at Christmas. Let's read verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For Isaiah, he looked forward to a time when God's Messiah would come to this earth, and it was a time and event that, excuse me, the time and event that we refer to as Christmas, his coming. In verse 2, we see that one of the things that Isaiah looked forward to at Christmas was a time when the light would shine through the darkness, a time when those who were in darkness would see a great light. We must remember that Christmas was, and it should be, a time of great light. John opens his gospel by speaking of the ministry of Christ. He writes, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He continues in verse 6 through 8 of John chapter 1. He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus came to this earth as a great light in the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the reason that he came as a light into the world was so that whoever believed in him would not abide in darkness, according to John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus came as the light of the world to reach out to those who were in darkness to show them the way to life. As we celebrate Christmas, may we never forget that Christmas is a time when God shone, shined, shone, 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 shone. Thank you, thank you, man. A time when God shone through the darkness and presented himself as the light of the world, okay? And may we also remember this, you guys. At Christmas, that we too are called to be a light. Jesus described his followers as lights. He declared to them during his Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God wants to shine bright. God wants us to shine bright for him all year round, but during this time of year especially, 
May we be bright lights in the darkness. May we be ones that stand out for the Lord. May we be ones that point others to the Lord and use this season as an opportunity to tell others about the true meaning of Christmas. Isaiah looked forward to even more at Christmas. Let's look at verse 3. He says, You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Stop right there. Verse 3 shows us that Isaiah looked forward to a time of great joy and rejoicing. And it reminds us that Christmas is a time of great joy. Isaiah likened it to the joy of the harvest. Okay, the joy that the farmer has waiting for his crop to finally bloom and start producing a harvest. He also likened it to the joy that soldiers have after winning a battle and dividing the spoils. You know, as we look back upon the details regarding Christmas, we are reminded that it was a time of great joy. The very first words that were spoken to Mary were rejoice. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You see, before Mary even knew that she was going to give birth to Jesus Christ, the very first thing the angel said to her was rejoice. Later on, when Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth, the unborn babe within her, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb for joy at the sound of Mary's greeting. In Mary's song of praise, she declared, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The very birth announcement to the shepherds in the field watching over their flocks by night was, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Christmas is a time of great joy and rejoicing. And so may our celebrations this year be filled with joy. Let's look at what else Isaiah looked forward to at Christmas. Verse 4. It says, For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Verse 4 speaks of deliverance. A broken yoke of burden speaks of a prisoner being set free, just as a broken rod of an oppressor does the same. Isaiah looked forward to Christmas as a time of great deliverance, a time when God would set his people free from the burden and from oppression. And as we look back upon Christmas and we remember Christ's first coming, we are reminded that he came to bring deliverance from the power and bondage of sin and death. Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, he went into the synagogue and he stood up to read. And the place that he read from was from later on in this very book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And in Luke, uh, he records for us what Jesus read. He read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. After his reading... If you're familiar with the count, you know that he closed up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And while all eyes were upon him, he declared, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We, you guys, were held captive to sin. And Jesus came to set us free, to deliver us from sin. He did so by willingly going to the cross and taking our sins upon his shoulders. He took our place. He died upon the cross of Calvary for all the sins of the world that he might set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And after dying upon the cross, Jesus rose from the dead three days later, defeating sin and death. And now he offers us that same victory that he obtained through simple faith. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 declares, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Because of our faith in Christ and his Spirit that dwells within us, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. And now... We can stand firm in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 reminds us to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Christmas is about deliverance. It's about God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our sins and to give us freedom from the law. And so let's make sure that we don't abuse the freedom that God has given to us. Let's remember that Christmas is about deliverance and let's not allow ourselves to be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Listen, you guys, we no longer need to be slaves of sin. We have been set free. Christmas is about deliverance. Let's look at verse 5. We'll note another thing that Isaiah looked forward to Isaiah, verse nine, Isaiah 9, verse 5 says, For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Here in verse 5, Isaiah prophesies of a day of peace, a day when warrior's sandals or boots from the battle, okay, along with all the garments from the battle, they will be tossed into the fire for, and used for fuel. Warriors' boots and battle apparel will no longer be needed. The war will be over and peace will reign. Christmas, church family, is a time of great peace. Recall, if you will, the multitude of heavenly hosts that joined with the angel on that night. They visited the shepherds in the field. The heavenly hosts praised the Lord and they sang, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Christmas is to be a time of great peace. Unfortunately, with the commercialization of the holiday, we've allowed it to become a time of great busyness. And I think our calendars can attest to that. How many different Christmas uh, parties do you have on your calendar this year? Have you already started attending and they're stacking up? I got to get this gift. I got to go do that. I got to be here for this. And, And we're just constantly on the go. Oftentimes we forget that this time of year is to be one of great peace. John 14, 27, Jesus declared, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 actually describes Jesus as our peace. He is our peace. 
The Scriptures teach us that Christ has made peace for us through the blood of His cross. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And that we can obtain this peace through faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we remember to take time to rest in the peace that God has given to us during this Christmas season. Let's continue. Look at the first part of verse 6. Isaiah writes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We'll stop right there. Here in the opening of verse 6, Isaiah speaks of the dual nature of Jesus Christ, how he was both 100% man and at the same time 100% God. Unto us a child is born speaks of his humanity. Jesus came to this earth in the form of a babe, a a helpless human babe that was dependent upon the care and, and nurturing of his mother Mary. Unto us a son is given, speaks of his deity. Jesus was God's son given to all humanity. It was a way for God to manifest his love toward us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 states, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Isaiah looked forward to a day when a child would be born and a son would be given. For us, Christmas is about looking back and realizing the amazing and precious gift of Jesus Christ. This really is what Christmas is all about. It's about a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, a representation of God's greatest gift to all of humanity. It is the greatest gift we could ever receive because it represents something all of humanity needed, a Savior deliverer and it represents something that none in humanity could offer jesus christ meets our greatest need and he offers to us something we could never accomplish on our own the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with god the father for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life Christmas is about remembering the amazing gift of God's Son being born to us. But there's more that Isaiah looked forward to. Okay? And, and he writes of it in the latter part of verse 6 and 7. Let's look at these last verses. Picking up where we left off in verse 6, it says, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. While most of what Isaiah looked forward to at Christmas has already been fulfilled, this last part of Isaiah's prophecy has yet to come. When it speaks about the government being upon his shoulder and the increase of his government and him sitting upon the throne of David over his kingdom, this is still yet to come. This still represents a future time. This time frame is what we refer to as the millennial reign of Christ and will be part of Christ's second coming. You see, a lot of the Old Testament prophets, they they prophesied of Christ's coming, not fully realizing that the futuristic events they spoke of would occur at two separate times. 
that the Messiah would come to the world twice. First, as a suffering servant, as a sacrificial lamb. But then at his second coming, he would come as a conquering king and as a roaring lion. His first coming is what we celebrate at Christmas. But for Isaiah, Christmas was about looking forward to the Messiah reigning upon the throne of David as well. And so for us, I think it would be good for us to be reminded of the same. As much as Christmas represents a time of looking back upon the first coming of Jesus Christ, may we also be ones that are living for and looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. For Isaiah and for us, Christmas ought to represent a futuristic time that's still yet to come. A time where Christ will reign as King upon this earth and establish His kingdom a time that will mark the beginning of what the rest of eternity will be like in heaven with the Lord. And I do hope and pray that we all are ready and prepared for His second coming as we celebrate and look back upon His first coming. Church family, Jesus is coming back. Part of the Christmas celebration is the hope that we have in the second coming. Just as Jesus came the first time and fulfilled many of the Old Testament prophecies concerning His coming, there are still yet more prophecies to fulfill. God is faithful and He will come back. It is only a matter of time. Listen, we don't know. We don't know when He will come. But we ought to live each and every day with the hope and with the expectation that it could be at any time. That soon and very soon God's Son will come for us. Last thing, I want to look at really quick as we wrap this text up, the names that are mentioned here by which Jesus will be referred to. You know, when Isaiah prophesies about his name, it isn't referring to his actual name by which he would be referred to as, but his character. Okay? Names in the Bible are often used to reflect the characteristics of a person. And, and we understand this even in our modern day English, right? Okay, when we say that someone has a good name, okay, we're not talking about his actual name, right? We're not saying, oh, Glenn, that's a great name. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a great name. No, that's not what we're talking about, okay? When we talk about someone having a, a good name, okay, we're referring to their character, okay? Someone with a good name is someone that's well-respected, who has a good reputation within a community, Similarly, we see what Jesus' character traits will be displayed through these titles that he will be referred to by. Now, depending upon the translation of your Bible, there are either four or five names given here. And so let's take a look at each of them and note the character of the one that we worship and glorify this Christmas season and all year round. First off, and this is where the different translations come into play, we see that his name will be called wonderful. Now, in the New King James Version and the King James, the title wonderful is separated by a comma and made to stand upon its own. Uh, In other more modern translations, there is no comma, and the first title given to Jesus is seen as wonderful counselor. Now, I need you guys to understand that the commas and other grammatical punctuations, they are not divinely inspired, okay? When we read our Bibles and we see commas and punctuation, you know, that's been added in after the fact. Okay? 
Um, back in the day when Greek was used as a common day-to-day language, it was usually written without punctuation. Later on, Bible scholars and editors added punctuation to make the Bible more readable as they translated it into various languages. Should there be a comma? Well, we can't say for, with certainty, okay? I, for one, like the idea of having the comma. Because it encourages me that whatever Jesus does is wonderful. He's not just a wonderful counselor, but he is a wonderful Savior. He is a wonderful God. He is a wonderful healer. He is a wonderful example, a wonderful comforter. Everything that Jesus does is wonderful. He's not just a wonderful counselor. His name will be called Counselor, and he will be a wonderful counselor because everything he does is wonderful. Jesus is the one fit to guide our lives and should be our immediate resource as a counselor. Jesus can help us all. He can help us with our problems, the difficulties that we are experiencing, the decisions that need to be made. Jesus is full of wisdom, and his counsel is better than any other counselor we may attempt to seek out. Jesus' counsel is faithful and true. It will never lead us astray. We can trust it to lead and guide our lives. Church family, where are you at today? Are you hurting? Are you in need of someone to talk to? Someone that will listen to you and your hurts and your fears and counsel you in the way that you should go? Jesus is who you need. And he's ready and willing to meet with you at any time. You don't need an appointment and he doesn't charge by the hour. He's waiting to hear from you, longing to hear from you, that he might guide you with his perfect and wonderful counsel. Well, he will also be named Mighty God. And oh, how important this is, church family. Jesus is Mighty God. He has the power needed to accomplish his will and his desire. You see, a counselor can tell you what to do, but can't always help you to do it. Jesus, on the other hand, as mighty God, he has the power to not only identify our problems, but solve our problems as well. And there was no greater display of that power than when he went to the cross of Calvary for us. He had it within him, the power to solve man's greatest problem, our sin problem. He went to the cross He paid the penalty for our sins. In his might, he overcame sin, death, and the enemy. He defeated sin and the consequences of sin by rising from the dead. He has the power to bring new life to our dead bodies as well. He is mighty God. This next one may seem a little awkward as he will be called everlasting father as well. Now we know that Jesus is God. He is 100% God. He is referred to as the second person in the Godhead. We believe and teach that Jesus Christ is God, but that he is uniquely different from the other members of the Godhead. We believe that God is one being in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is not saying that Jesus is the Father, for we know that he and the Father are distinctly different. When Jesus prayed, He wasn't speaking to himself, but to his father. What does this name mean then? 
Well, we can break it down. Everlasting. We kind of know what that means, right? Uh, it refers to eternity, forever and ever, continual, always, okay, in an un- unlimited amount of time, uh, a time without end or beginning. The word father can refer to an actual father or ancestor, but it can also refer to an originator or founder of something. And this is the context in which it's used here. Jesus is the originator of eternity. He is the creator of all things. He is the founder and ruler of everything eternal. And he will reign in eternity. And he invites us to join with him in eternity through faith in the work that he did upon the cross for us. We don't ever have to wor- we don't ever have to worry about heaven coming under new management. and and things being changed on us. The deal that we have with him will last for all of eternity. Last but not least, he will be called Prince of Peace. The word prince, it's used to speak of those given charge over something. It could be translated as prince, official, uh, leader, commander, captain, chief, or ruler. We understand what it's being said here, right? Jesus is the ruler of peace, the prince of peace, the one who's in control of and oversees peace. With Jesus, we can know the peace that surpasses all understanding. When things just don't make sense, when things don't add up in our mind, we can know the peace of God because we know Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 states, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. In every situation we find ourselves, may we seek Him and know the peace that He offers to us. As we look forward to Christmas, May we be reminded of Jesus Christ and all that he is for us. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, Christmas is a time most of us all look forward to. A time we welcome with excitement and enthusiasm. I pray that this Christmas, as you look forward to it coming later this month and all the joy that will come with it, that you will remember what Isaiah the prophet looked forward to at Christmas. You see, Isaiah, he looked forward to a time where Christ would be honored. A time of great light, a time of great joy, a time of deliverance, and a time of great peace. He looked forward to the greatest gift God would ever give, and he looked forward to God's anointed one sitting upon the throne of his father David, reigning over his kingdom. He was mindful of all that Christ the Messiah would be for us all. May what Isaiah looked forward to be part of what we look forward to in our celebration of Christmas this year. Amen? Amen.